When you're analyzing geopolitics, a common critique that you often hear is that it's much too simple to say that it's simply the West versus the rest of the world. It's too simplistic, you're ignoring nuance. And in some contexts, I agree, there is sometimes more nuance. But when it comes to particular issues, especially the issues of economic warfare and sanctions and how they violate international law, it is very simple. It is the West versus the rest of the world. We can see this extremely clearly in United Nations votes. Every single year, there are votes at the UN General Assembly and Human Rights Council to condemn illegal unilateral sanctions, which are formally known as unilateral coercive measures. And every year, like clockwork, we see a common pattern. It's the US and Europe against the rest of the world. We saw a very clear example of this on April 3rd, in which there was a vote in the UN Human Rights Council to condemn sanctions. I reported on this over at geopoliticaleconomy.com and I have in the description below a link so you can find all of the sources that I discussed today. This UN Human Rights Council vote was 33 countries in support of the resolution condemning sanctions, 13 countries against and one abstention. And if you look at the list of countries, it is very blatant. It is the countries of the global south against the countries of the west. Now, the countries that voted against the sanctions, that is in support of the resolution condemning the sanctions, include Algeria, Argentina, Bangladesh, Benin, Bolivia, Cameroon, Chile, China, Costa Rica, Cote d'Ivoire, Eritrea, Gabon, Gambia, Honduras, India, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Malawi, Malaysia, Maldives, Morocco, Nepal, Pakistan, Paraguay, Qatar, Senegal, Somalia, South Africa, Sudan, the UAE, Uzbekistan, and Vietnam. So the countries of Latin America, Africa, and Asia. If you look at the, the countries that voted in support of sanctions, that is against the resolution, they're all either from Europe or the US. So it's the West. It's Belgium, the Czech Republic, Finland, France, Georgia, Germany, Lithuania, Luxembourg, Montenegro, Romania, Ukraine, the UK, and the USA. So we see the US and Britain, the Anglo-American powers. We see European Union member states. Montenegro is joining the EU. Uh, Georgia wants to join the EU. And then Ukraine. Ukraine is also trying to join the EU. So these are the countries that are going against international law in support of illegal sanctions. You also have Mexico, which abstained in this vote. And this is unfortunate. Uh, Mexico does have a leftist president, Andres Manuel López Obrador, but his diplomatic team is often very centrist and they try not to upset the United States. They often play both sides and they're very neutral in a lot of these votes, which in some cases, in this case, they actually end up only helping the, the West. Now today, one third of the global population lives in countries that are sanctioned illegally, unilaterally by the West. And this has a devastating impact on civilians and on the economy of the countries that are targeted. Let's just look at the UN Human Rights Council resolution for a minute and we can get some of the main points. This resolution was introduced by Azerbaijan on behalf of the non-aligned movement. 
And if the resolution begins quoting many of the past resolutions that were approved by the UN General Assembly, by the UN Human Rights Council, by the Office of the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights. So those are all the past resolutions. Like I said, every single year, these resolutions condemn illegal unilateral sanctions, and yet the West continues to impose them. Now, the resolution urges all states to stop adopting, maintaining, implementing, or complying with unilateral coercive measures. It urges the removal of such measures as they are contrary to the UN Charter and norms and principles governing peaceful relations among states. So it emphasizes that these sanctions are not in accordance with international law, international humanitarian law, or the Charter of the United Nations. So they are illegal. It also strongly condemns the unilateral application uh, by certain powers, that is obviously the United States, of sanctions as tools of pressure, including political and economic pressure against any country. And here, this is an important section, particularly against least developed and developing countries with a view to preventing these countries from exercising their right to decide of their own free will, their own political, economic, and social systems. So this is clearly a reference to the illegal US blockades against Venezuela and Cuba, for instance. Cuba has been under an illegal blockade for more than 60 years. And every single year at the United Nations, the entire world votes against the US blockade, excluding the US and Israel, the rogue states that are the only countries that support this illegal blockade. And this UN Human Rights Council resolution acknowledges that not only is that illegal, but it's also illegal to try to force regime change. And the US uses these sanctions to try to bring about regime change to install a new government to overthrow the socialist governments in Cuba and Venezuela. And this resolution acknowledges that every country has the right to decide their own political, economic, and social systems. But the US wants to maintain a global dictatorship of US imperialism in which the US imposes neoliberal capitalism on every country on earth. Now, the resolution also expresses its deep concern over the negative effects of sanctions on the environment. So sanctions make climate change worse, despite the West claiming falsely to care about climate change. And it also it says that it expresses grave concern over the effects of sanctions on communities like women, children, adolescents, the elderly, and people with disabilities. So not only are these sanctions illegal, but they affect marginalized communities more than anyone else. So here we have an example of human rights and women's rights and the rights of people with disabilities. These are all talking points that the Western imperial powers love to exploit to justify their illegal wars and sanctions and regime change operations and color revolutions and coup attempts. They love to say that they're supporting human rights and the rights of women in Afghanistan and etc. And yet when it actually comes to voting in support of those rights at the United Nations, it's the West that is against the rest of the world. And it's the global South that is expressing support for actual human rights. Now, the Western powers are well aware of the fact that their sanctions violate international law, and yet they continue to impose more and more. Here I have a report from the law firm Gibson Dunn that looks at the 
U.S. government's application of sanctions as of the end of 2021. And there's a graph here showing from 2000 until 2021, the U.S. increased its imposition of sanctions by 933%. I repeat, in the 20 years, 21 years from 2000 to 2021, in two decades, the U.S. government's use of sanctions increased by 933%. As of the end of 2021, there were 9,421 sanctioned parties targeted by the U.S. And that number has only increased significantly since then with the U.S. sanctions on Russia, the expansion of more sanctions on Cuba and Iran and other countries, and China, of course. The Financial Times newspaper published an article that looks into the massive increase in the use of sanctions by the U.S. and the West in general. And it's titled Weaponization of Finance, How the West Unleashed Shock and Awe on Russia. It notes that the U.S. was the driving force behind the sanctions push. So as always, the European Union was simply going along obediently with what Washington wanted. And they noted that when Russia invaded Ukraine in February 2022, the West effectively declared financial war on Russia. And the Financial Times noted this is a very new kind of war. The weaponization of the U.S. dollar and other Western currencies to punish their adversaries. As voters in the U.S. have tired of military interventions and their so-called endless wars, financial warfare has partly filled the gap. And they quoted a former senior White House official named Juan Sarate, who said, This is full-on shock and awe. It's about as aggressive as unplugging of the Russian financial and commercial system as you can imagine. And they have a graph that shows the West's massive increase in the use of sanctions. Now, I'm not a big fan of this graph. It's from the Global Sanctions Database, which is very conservative in their estimates. They don't even use the exact number of sanctions imposed by the U.S. Treasury. So the actual number is it's not focused specifically on the thousands of individual sanctions, as we saw in the other graph. Instead, it's focused on the specific countries. So that's why the figures are much smaller. But the point is not the exact number. The point of the graph is that you can see the massive increase since the 1970s in the use of sanctions first by the US and then the European Union and also the United Nations, especially in the 90s, has massively increased the use of sanctions. However, at the UN that has changed over time because as China and Russia have become more independent of the West with the decline of US unipolar imperial hegemony, they, the UN Security Council has not endorsed most of these sanctions because Russia and China will use their veto power as permanent members of the UN Security Council to prevent the West from imposing more sanctions legally. So that's why the West just imposes them illegally, violating international law. Now, finally, I want to wrap up here looking at an article that has not aged well. It's honestly kind of funny in a sick way. The Brookings Institution, which is, you know, a mouthpiece of the political class, the establishment in Washington, D.C., this major think tank in Washington, they published an article back in 1998, so well over 20 years ago. And it was written by Richard Haas, who today is the 
the leader, the director of the Council on Foreign Relations, which is a de facto, basically, arm of the U.S. government. And his article was called Economic Sanctions, Too Much of a Bad Thing. Again, this is in 1998. He warned that economic sanctions are increasingly being used to promote the full range of American foreign policy objectives. Yet all too often, sanctions turn out to be little more than expressions of U.S. preferences that hurt American economic interests without changing the target's behavior for the better. He notes that economic sanctions are fast becoming the policy tool of choice for the United States in the post-Cold War world. This was in 1998, and as we saw in the graphs, the number of sanctions imposed since then has skyrocketed by nearly 1,000%. So clearly, imperial strategists, so-called policymakers in Washington, they have known about the destructive impact of their sanctions. They know that in the 1990s, U.S.-led sanctions on Iraq resulted in the deaths of hundreds of thousands of Iraqi children, and yet the U.S. government defended it. U.S. Secretary of State Madeleine Albright said the price was worth it. We have heard that a half a million children have died. I mean, that's more children than died when, when, in Hiroshima. And, and, you know, is the price worth it? I think this is a very hard choice, but the price, we think the price is worth it. The U.S. has known that sanctions devastate economies of countries and lead to the deaths of large numbers of civilians, including in Venezuela, tens of thousands, perhaps hundreds of thousands of civilians have died because of the illegal U.S. sanctions. And yet the U.S. continues to impose them over decades because it's not about saving human lives. It's not about protecting civilians. It's the opposite. Sanctions are a form of war. They are war. They're not an alternative to war. They are war. And it's a way by which the U.S. empire and its allies in, the, in Europe try to wage economic war on independent countries, especially those with socialist governments, aiming to overthrow their government, to impose regime change, and to install a puppet regime, like the West did in the former Soviet Union, in Russia in the 1990s under Boris Yeltsin, in which the West imposed neoliberal capitalist shock therapy that led to millions of excess deaths, according to UNICEF, and devastated the country. And that partially explains today why Russia is so defensive and is worried about the West trying to once again overthrow its government and impose a new puppet regime like it did in the 1990s. That's one of the main factors behind the proxy war in Ukraine. And that is also why the West has imposed so many aggressive sanctions on Russia. As President Joe Biden said, the U.S. goal is to turn the Russian ruble into rubble. And there are more than 100 million Russians, and they all use the ruble. It's their currency. So the U.S. trying to destroy their currency is waging economic war on the collectively on the entire Russian population. That is what the West is doing against Russians, Venezuelans, Iranians, Cubans, increasingly Chinese, Eritreans, Zimbabweans, and people around the world, the number Nicaraguans, uh, people in Syria, Syrians. The number of sanctions imposed on these countries grows by the day. That explains why the vast majority of the global population votes at the United Nations to oppose 
these illegal sanctions, and it's only the West that supports this economic warfare. I'm going to conclude there. I wanted to keep this as a short analysis today. I'm Ben Norton. This is Geopolitical Economy Report. If you want to support the work that we do here, you can go to patreon.com slash geopoliticaleconomy and become a patron, or you can go to geopoliticaleconomy.com slash support and donate in other ways. If you're watching or listening, please subscribe on whatever platform this is. I'll see you all next time.